What a wonderful day to be here as a part of the West Irwin Church of Christ family today. And everyone that's here, everyone that's watching online is a part of our family today. Um, Those wonderful words from Scripture that we just sang, we celebrated for our families uh, who have experienced a wonderful gift over the past year or so. And along with them, we have some very special guests that are with us today as a part of this wonderful event. And so welcome. It's wonderful to get to see you, and it's wonderful to get to celebrate one of God's greatest gifts together. And it's wonderful to have Owen and Lauren Mitchell with us. I hope that you get to meet them uh, today. They're here with us. They were a part of our, uh, the resource people for our Reconnect Marriage workshop yesterday. And uh, we had 25 or 6 couples that were a part of that. And what a blessing uh, that was. And they were in our, we connected our young adult class today. And I know that was a wonderful blessing for our young adults. But they have told me already that it was a wonderful blessing for them as well. And, um, and we understand that. We understand that. Today, we're having a luncheon together. I did not have anything to do with any of the food. So please come. Please stay. Walk across the street to our Family Life Center. Cane's Chicken it is. And it will be wonderful. And we'll have a great time of uh, uh, blessing and encouraging and fellowship uh, with each other. And before we get into the lesson for today, God's household, I want to share something that's coming up. It's my sermon series that will begin next Sunday. And uh, I've entitled it Bless to Bless, and it will be some shots from the book of Ephesians. I have uh, little flyers that you're welcome to take. They're on the information booth. Not anything fancy, but something that if you'd like to uh, put somewhere in your house or in your Bible or give to one of your neighbors or friends or co-workers, that would be a great thing as well. Pick one of those up and we'll be centering on Ephesians and we'll be starting in chapter 1 with the idea of being chosen. Just as Owen shared as we gathered around the table today celebrating the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which causes us and allows us and enables us to be chosen. That will be exactly where we start, and you'll see the topics for each of the next uh, several weeks there. Uh, And each week we'll focus on a blessing that we have and how we can use that blessing that we have received to bless and to share with others. I have value. I have value. I am forgiven. I belong. I talk to God. I am part of a group. I am loved and respected. I have a calling. And we'll finish the session out with that great passage on the armor of God. I'm still standing with apologies to Elton John. I'm still standing. Um, And so that's coming up. But today, as I thought about what we should share this morning, as we celebrated these wonderful babies as we encouraged one another in our time of worship and, and praise to our God, I wanted us to celebrate the, the families that we have that have been blessed in such a wonderful way and that are a blessing to this church and the call that Eric led us in that <clears throat> I've said many times, these are not just your children, these are our children. We see them as ours, not just yours. And as Eric led us, we promise that we will be there to help. Uh, We will help you 
We said over and over again, and we will. When it comes to God's family, God's household, there's another application in Scripture. The church is God's household. The church is God's household. That familiar passage in 1 Timothy 3, the church is the pillar and ground of the church, the familiar translation says. God's household, it says there, and in other places in Scripture. The church is God's household, and God's household is built on love. God's household is built on love. Eric said during that uh, baby blessing time, deep down, even when we have squabbles within our own individual families, deep down, we know that our relationship is built on love. And the same is true in our church family. We may have squabbles at times, but deep down, we know that our relationship is built on love. It's built on the love that God has for us, first of all, and it's built on the love that we have for Him in response, but it's also built on the love that we have for each other. As you know, Jesus, when cornered, said the two greatest commands, to love God and to love your neighbor. The church is God's household, and God's household is built on love. So I want us to take a moment and read these great words from 1 Corinthians 13 and make a few applications from each of those sections. Yesterday, I was honored to be able to officiate at the wedding of Trevor and Jody Legan. Jody is a friend of Tommy and Kelly Brown, and she has visited our church some uh, in weeks past, and we're hoping that they will come again and be a part of this wonderful We Connected class. But of course, during the wedding ceremony, I read from 1 Corinthians 13, because that's what you do when you do a wedding ceremony, right? You read from 1 Corinthians 13. But we know that 1 Corinthians 13 is not written in the context of a wedding ceremony. It's written in the context of the love that we have for each other as God's household, as God's family, as the church. And so as we read 1 Corinthians 13, remember it is in the middle of a whole book that's talking to a church about how to get along with each other, how to serve with one another, how to not only love God, but to let that love be shown and demonstrated and the way we talk with each other and how we treat each other and the joy that we have in serving God and this community together side by side in love. 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. One heart, one spirit, one voice to praise you. What's the next statement in that song? We are the body of Christ. So let's talk about that body from 1 Corinthians 13 for a moment. First of all, the value of love in those first few verses. If I do all kinds of incredible, amazing, terrific things, but I don't have love, it means nothing. I gain nothing. And in a sense, I accomplish nothing. No matter how great the deed, no matter how incredible the power, no matter how wonderful people might think we are, if we're doing it without love, it means nothing. That's the value of love. That's how important love is. Yes, let's do all those incredible things. Absolutely. (laughs) But let's do them with love. And let's do them out of love. The value of love. Secondly, the actions of love. And I think this is the main thrust of this chapter. Those verses from verses 4 through 8 that speak about the actions of love. It talks about all the good things that love does and the bad things that love doesn't do. (laughs) Love is patient. It is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking or selfish. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't hold a grudge. In fact, in Leviticus 19, where we first read that statement, love your neighbor as yourself, that Jesus would take and say is the second great commandment in the original context in Leviticus 19, 18, it is exactly saying that. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Do not carry a grudge against one of my people, but instead, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how important that is to God. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I remember when uh, we had Jerry and Lynn Jones here uh, a while back, a few years back for a Uh, marriage enrichment seminar. And one of the things that they shared over and over again is one of the great calls to husbands and wives is simply this, be kind to each other. Treat each other with kindness. It's a shame that we have to remind husbands and wives to be kind to each other. But it's just as shameful that we have to remind each other as members of the body of Christ, God's household, to be kind to each other. 
I read an article recently on the most profound marriage advice I've ever received. Can you think of that? Think of the most profound marriage advice you've ever received. And if you'd like uh, to send that to me, I would really be interested in uh, knowing. Um, but there were, uh, the article was great, and I'll mention it in a moment. But a couple of comments that I wanted to share first of all. But one person wrote, The best marriage advice I have received, if you always consider your spouse's needs as more important than your own, you can't lose. I think that's a good statement. Uh, Best marriage advice I have ever received, another one wrote, if you are the kind of person that needs to win every fight, then fight for your marriage. That's a fight. That's a battle that you ought to take on with that same energy and that same commitment and that same desire, and that is to win that fight. For your marriage. If you ask Joyce what uh, her response to that question would be, or, or what is the, what does every marriage need? What's the secret to how you could get along with and, and somehow be able to stay married to Bill Allen for 45 plus years? They say modern miracles have ceased. I don't think so. But she would say that to laugh together, to laugh with each other. And then she would probably say something about, Bill knows the secret that if I'm mad at him, but it's not a real bad mad, that if if he can get me laughing, then he's off the hook. (laughs) And so I try that. I've also learned that when she's really mad at me, that doesn't work. (laughs) Nope, not at all. Not at all. But in this article, the most profound marriage advice I've ever received, this man is asking his father about whether he should ask his his girlfriend is to, to marry him or not. And his father asked him a simple question. He asked, does she help you? Does she help you? And of course, that got the young man thinking and, and applying it another way, as you've already decided in your mind. And that is, do I help her? How can I help her? And, and I think that's the greatest of marriages is that they're knocking each other out, trying to help the other that unselfishness that 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about so profoundly. The actions of love. This is how we are to treat each other as the body of Christ, as God's household. Number three is the maturity of love. This fun passage that talks about what's temporary and when it goes and what, what, how is that applying, Bill? Okay, I want you to figure all of that out and then send me an email and tell me what the answer is. But I think... I think where Paul is going with this on a very simple level is he's talking about the maturity of love. If you treat others the way he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, that is maturity. That's maturity. And when you think of this statement and this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, in the context of the whole letter of 1 Corinthians 13, what he's telling them here is two words. Grow up. (laughs) Grow up. Stop treating each other like you're a child. Stop letting everything hurt you and threaten you and offend you. As if you were six years old. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And I think what he's telling the Christians at Corinth and the Christians here at West Irwin is put childish ways behind you. Grow up. Treat each other like you love each other, like you care about each other, like their needs are more important than your own needs. Isn't that what Jesus did? 
when he died for us on that cross that we celebrated as Owen led us. The maturity of love. And then lastly, the greatest of these is love. Don't you love that verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13? Faith, hope, and love, these three remain. They're the greatest things. But if you're narrowing it down to just one, the greatest of these is love. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And if you need help and encouragement living this life of love, being a loving member of God's household. We're here to help each other. That's what the church is all about. A common love for each other. A common gift to the Savior. A common bond holding us to the Lord. A common strength when we're weary. A common hope for tomorrow. A common joy in the truth of God's Word. If you need to come, come as we stand and sing this great song together.